The first time I played taps, he says, was at summer camp when I was 10 years old. That was the year I started playing trumpet, so I can only imagine how it sounded. <laughs> I know there was no way that I could have hit the high note near the end. The first tap time I played taps in honor of those who died was in high school, when I was contacted by the local Legion commander. He asked if I would mind occasionally being called on to play taps at graveside services for veterans. I agreed. For the next couple of years, when there was a need, I would take my place with the Legion Honor Guard, wait for the three volleys of shots to ring out, and play the single 24 notes of taps as clearly and as best I could. Each time, the Legion commander would quietly slip me a $10 bill, and that's about all that taps meant to me for a while. It was easy to do, it got me out of school, and I earned a little money. And then one day that changed. The man I was called upon to play for that day was the father of one of my Boy Scout leaders. Back then, like most of the adults I knew, I thought my assistant scoutmaster was pretty old. But his father was a World War II veteran, so now thinking back, that means that both my leader and his father were relatively young, too young for their places there that morning, as the honored dead and the grieving son. That day, as I began to play taps, this man, who I knew as wise and kind and relatively hard in the old boy, Boy Scout wilderness leader sort of way, fell to his knees overwhelmed with tears. I'm not sure how I made it through the whole piece that day, but after that I thought I might never be able to play it again. Today, whether I'm playing it or hearing it, perhaps means something close to what it once meant, to the reasons for which it was written and originally used. Once upon a time, Taps was a signal that the camp was relatively safe. It meant that you were not under siege or under attack of any kind. It meant that you were reasonably sure that there were no enemy soldiers to worry about, at least a bugle call distance away. To a whole camp of soldiers, the notes of taps meant that unless you were on duty, you could close your eyes and you could sleep in peace. I didn't know that story or that sentiment all those years ago when I played taps for pocket money in the local cemetery. But in that meeting, something speaks to me in my heart and soul about dying. And for those of us who remain, about remembering well. I may have shared with uh, some of you that I've been going to Cape May on the New Jersey shore for many years. When my children were little, in fact, Mike and I became engaged there after a particularly vicious election. <laughs> theme in our lives. Anyway, we became engaged there, and, and as our kids were growing up, we often 
gone there, sometimes even for just a day trip, when some of us needed a sight of the ocean. And every time we've gone, it's a particular ritual that we absolutely have to attend. Maybe some of you know it. And the tiny little speck that is keeping <coughs> where the Delaware Bay meets the Atlantic Ocean is a little place called Sunset Beach. <coughs> and every summer night since 1975 on Sunset Beach, there's been a special ceremony to honor a fallen veteran. That right now it is the same people who do that ceremony who have done that for all that time. So Sunset Beach is not a really glamorous beach. The sand is kind of bay sand, sort of coarse, and it's got rocks, and there's all kinds of chunks of quartz in it. You can actually, they're called kidney diamonds. My first engagement ring was a kidney diamond. <laughs> but it is a beautiful place. There's a sunken half remain of what is a, a concrete submarine. I will never understand what that means, but it was part of the fortifications. That area was really important during World War II. And it, there's still very, very large coast guards. So as the sun sets, scratchy loudspeakers come on. You hear the sound of Kate Smith singing God Bless America. It was always my dad's favorite rendition of the Irving Berlin song. God bless America, it says, land that I love. Stand beside her and guide her through the night with the light from above. From the mountains to the prairies to the oceans white with foam. God bless America, my home. Then from the same loudspeakers, we hear the story of the veteran who was being honored that day. It may have been someone who fell in combat 50 years ago, maybe someone who fell a couple of months ago, maybe someone who came home from service to live a relatively quiet life for many decades. The crowd is silent and respectful and often emotional. And the family of the veteran stands by the flagpole. And then to the sounds, the 24 notes of taps, the flag is slowly lowered and is folded those of you who understand these rituals know how carefully and precisely it needs to be folded and handed to the family. People don't leave. It's not like, you know, going to an entertainment event. People stay talking quietly, feeling their emotions, watching the rest of the sunset. And I have to tell you, it is impossible not to be moved. It's actually really hard for me to even tell you about this without feeling deeply moved. Because for those couple of minutes, we remember 
remember someone who, for most of the people there, someone we never knew, but we remember. We hold that person, and that person's family in our hearts, and we learn a little bit about their story. We say goodbye, and we grieve. I would say to all of you this morning that I would have us remember each and every one of them. Each and every one of them. Not just because it's dangerous to forget. We've all heard the famous saying by George Santayana, we are doomed to repeat the mistakes of history if we don't remember them. But more importantly, because disremembering is dishonoring those losses. Irrespective of whether or not we think we agree with the cause or the time or the reason for which they died. And that's a big part. To disremember the fallen is to dishonor them. And our faith tradition particularly teaches us to remember that every human life has inherent worth and dignity every human life. Moreover, we are part, if we take our principles seriously, we are part of an interdependent web of all existence. We are connected. We are not simply connected to those living today. We are connected to those who came before us and to those who will come after us. And while it is human nature for us to say, well, some wars were good and some wars were bad, I would have us remember everyone. In 1939, I imagine when that concrete submarine was being designed by someone, the United States military had roughly 335,000 members. By the end of the war in 1945, there were over 12 million. Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of men and women volunteered to fight in this war. In fact, slightly over 40% of those who served in World War II were volunteers. Pretty staggering number. Bess, where you talked about your grandfather. My grandfather lied about his age, too, except he was too old. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he went away. And in the year that I was born, my dad was doing his military service in post-war, in post-war training. Almost one million of those who fought in World War II were African-American. The next largest so-called minority group, we don't really use that language that much anymore, but was in fact Puerto Rican. With almost 52,000 Puerto Rican soldiers recorded, and in the National Archives they say, we know that this is a huge misrepresentation because Latinx soldiers did not serve in segregated units. 
In the years of my childhood that I spent in Europe, mostly in France, the trains and the trolleys and, and um, you know, most passenger cars would have special signs designating seats for those who had been wounded for the blessé of the war. And it was frequent that there were not enough seats for those who had been injured, who had, had to have amputations or who had serious headphones. Now I would lift up to you that those seats were not for survivors of the camps with their tattoos across their right wrists, and they were not for other corollary victims of the war. In France, tens of thousands, if not more, women were forced into prostitution during World War II. And at the end of the war, they were paraded in shame through the streets for folks to throw stuff at them and shame them for their collaboration. I would have had us remember that there are many victims, but that's not the main thing I want to talk about necessarily today. I will say, family still laughs at me, but I will be grateful until the day I die that there was the courage and the will to fight the Nazis and their relentless assault and their regime of racialized terror. I'll carry that feeling until the last day of my life. But still, I ask myself, and I ask you to consider again this particular question, is one death more important than another? How is it for us to honor the deaths of those who sacrificed their lives in a cause we believe in while we celebrate the deaths of our enemies? I'd like to suggest to you on this Memorial Day morning, as we are connected with our past and with our future, and we think for a moment about the fact that every single bit of progress we can claim today, every triumph, every victory, everything we have achieved, stands on the shoulders and backs of those who lived and died before us who sacrificed, who did their best for us. So our victories are their victories. And their pain and their mistakes are our pain and our mistakes too. There's not a clean slate when a new child is born. We carry these things, don't we? And our children and great-grandchildren and great-great-grandchildren, assuming we don't blow ourselves up in the interim, they will carry our mistakes and our sacrifices and our victories. The past matters, and holding it gently, remembering it matters, learning from it, having compassion.
compassion for it and for ourselves as we do that work of remembrance. I would see, like one of our readings said, I would see the seven generations after us living in a war in a world where war is no longer needed, where we no longer need military to resolve our conflicts. In recent years, the number of dead in the American, the United States Civil War, has been increased to somewhere 150,000 people. Hundreds of thousands of teenage farm boys from the South and the North. The Union Army alone had 600,000 foreign-born combatants. Yay, preparation. regiments of black troops. I wonder if we've healed from that war. I think perhaps we have. So there are a number of towns in the United States that lay claim to having originated Memorial Day. I want to tell you the story of one which you may or may not have It is told by Professor David W. Blight, who has written a book called The Civil War in American Memory, and it is a story of Charleston, South Carolina. Does anybody know it? Oh, goody. <laughs> See, there was a racetrack in Charleston that had been converted to, uh, to be a prisoner of war camp for captured Union soldiers. And 257 Union soldiers died in that camp, and there bodies were sort of dumped, not treated with respect. In April of 1865, 28 volunteers from one of the local black churches in Charleston gathered together. They built an enclosure around the track. They reburied the bodies in orderly rows. They whitewashed the fence and they built an archway over the entrance and on the archway they wrote martyrs of the race course. And on the morning of May 1st, 1865, early morning, a procession of 3,000 newly freed black children, recently enrolled in schools for freedmen, processed around the race course or the, what had been the race course, and then went in carrying armfuls of roses and singing John Brown's body. They were followed by 300 black women representing the Patriotic Association, which had uh, provided food and clothing and help to people during the war. They too carried baskets of flowers, wreaths, and crosses to the burial ground. There's a newspaper reporter who wrote an account of the event and said, there were so many flowers on the graves that not one speck of earth could be seen. The official dedication ceremony came next. 
all of the black ministers in Charleston spoke. There were speeches from abolitionist missionaries celebrating these union dead who had fought to abolish slavery. And you know how us ministers can talk, so you know that went on for a while. A full brigade of Union infantry, including black troops, held the drill. And then, like my friends at Cape May Point, nobody left. People had picnics and sang the Star Spangled Banner and other patriotic songs. Now, we have no way of knowing whether this celebration, which continued through the years, influenced or eventually was the source of our Memorial Day. The ladies in Columbus, Ohio, think they have a really good claim for creating Memorial Day, so maybe they're right. I'm slightly biased, because their event was created to remember the Confederate dead, but what can I tell you? <laughs> All deaths are remembering. But dear ones, One of the churches represented that day was the Emmanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, where 150 years later, neo-Nazi and white supremacists still en route shot and killed nine people during the Bible study. I want us to hold that for a moment, but the truth is I need to hold it for my own sake. Because sometimes the grief of not remembering and the tragedy that comes when we do not remember. It's hard. Dear ones, we're at our best when we remember. Even if it brings tears, even if it brings conflict. We heal ourselves and one another when we're able to remember. And when we can express our gratitude together for the good and the bad and the in-between. I'm going to invite you to stand in body or spirit. I'm going to invite us to remember together. That would be this one. <laughs> you may wish to place your hand over your heart.